Fred Ricciani of TSC with a special edition of the Sports Courier Podcast, the weekend edition. And this is more of a post-WrestleMania week recap, kind of to just go over my experience WrestleMania week, which was in my neck of the woods in the New York area. And on top of that, just kind of talk about all the latest wrestling news. It's been a while since I've gone over the news. I appreciate everybody that tuned in or listened to the WrestleMania 35 recap, which I kind of did on the fly. I appreciate all the positive feedback I received on my interviews with Pierre-Carl Ouellet of Ring of Honor, as well as my interview with Ernest the Cat Miller of WWE, WCW, and Karate fame. And I just want to give a, a quick programming update before we get started on some of these quick updates that Alan Wu, one of our good friends, just reviewed The Division 2 on PC. It's Ubisoft's action RPG. I've uh, been around for about a month now. I've had a lot of fun with it. That dude put over 100 hours into that game already, and he's got some strong opinions. So if you want to check out the review, feel free to drop in on youtube.com slash the sports courier to watch that. Also want to let you guys know we uploaded clips of our past interviews with Bruce Pritchard and the one and only Jim Cornette. So we got a lot going on, but let's get to the latest news. Nia Jax confirms a pro wrestling sheet report that she has not one but two torn ACLs, and she's probably going to be out for a while. We wish her the very best. Big E of New Day fame has a torn meniscus in his knee. He's going to be out for some time as well. No word if he's going to be traveling with the crew. Probably not. So it's going to be a little weird to not hear the, oh, you know, whatever hometown. And I guess they'll just use his voice as part of the entrance. But get well soon, Nia Jax. Get well soon, Big E. There was a report that was confirmed by Brian Alvarez of Wrestling Observer. Artie Evans, the former independent pro wrestler of Chikara fame and another independent promotions, a man who's been a WWE writer for about three years, I think now, or was, he quit over the weekend. Originally, there was a report that surfaced that Vince McMahon fired a writer on the spot because Bret Hart thanked him in his speech. Apparently, Vince McMahon is such a nutcase in addition to having massive turnover in his company, whether it be on the corporate side or the wrestler side, mainly the corporate side, I'd say, uh, b- between having some subpar Glassdoor reviews, Glassdoor being the, the job site where you can look up like a company's reviews and if you should work there or not, uh, and between just being a crazy-ass person, I guess one of the other crazy things that Vince McMahon doesn't like other than sneezing, which is a true story, is he doesn't like people thanking him in his own Hall of Fame. Now, if that's a known thing, uh, yeah, okay, you could say, okay, a writer should probably not put that in, in, a, in a wrestler's speech. Now, I guess Bret Hart you know, went over his speech with Artie Evans. Uh, they were inducting the Hart Foundation, which includes Bret Hart himself, and Jim DeAnvil Neidhart, the late great wrestler and father of Natalia. And if you recall correctly, Saturday night was also the night that Bret Hart was attacked by that crazy mofo who went to prison, uh, posted Bond, and uh, yeah, hopefully he'll go to jail for a little while because Bret Hart's 61 years old. He shouldn't be attacking random people anyway, and he also shouldn't be attacking people that are 61 and stroking cancer survivors. But uh, Bret Hart, apparently, you know, thank Vince McMahon. I actually haven't watched the Hall of Fame because I was at New Japan that night, but uh, Bret Hart thanked Vince, and I guess Artie Evans was the one that helped work on the speech with Bret Hart, and, uh, well, Vince McMahon did not like that. And I guess he tried to fire Artie Evans, but according to Brian Alvarez, Artie went up to him, shook his hand, said, uh, you know, I quit. I hope you learned a, a lesson here, <laughs> and, and walked out. That is maybe my favorite WWE story ever. Wow. 
On top of that, Pat McAfee, the former Indianapolis Colts punter turned podcaster, formerly of Barstool Sports, now he has his own show along with some contributions to Deadly Beyond their kickoff shows. He posted a podcast clip where he talked about how Michael Cole ripped into him for wearing tuxedo shorts. Now, whether you think tuxedo shorts look good or not, the reality is LeBron James, a lot of ballers are rocking those tuxedo shorts. And hey, if you're LeBron James and some other dudes, you can pull it off. Whether or not you think Pat McAfee did on WrestleMania Sunday, well, that's up to you. But Pat McAfee talked about, and I'm summing this up real, real quickly. I don't want to go you know, forever here. He, he went on for about 12 minutes on this. He said, essentially, he was backstage. It was chaotic because it's, of course, WrestleMania Sunday. And uh, he was, you know, rocking the tuxedo shorts, looking good, looking dapper. He also was hosting his watch-along on YouTube. And then Michael Cole, in front of everybody, went off on him, said he looked unprofessional, and and just kind of ripped him a new a-hole. And Pat McAfee was so pissed off, he said, F this, was getting ready to leave, Packing his stuff. Pat McAfee, by the way, is infamous for also walking away from, I believe, a $6 million contract because the then Colts GM, Ryan Grigson, disrespected him. Now, whether or not you think it's a smart decision, whatever, obviously he's doing relatively well for himself in the outside of the NFL. Excuse me. So, eventually, as the story goes, Michael Cole did apologize to him and said, hey, yo, I'm really sorry, and I just want you to make a good impression. This is the first time Vince McMahon is going to see you, blah, blah, blah. And Pat McAfee accepted it and felt that Michael Cole was sincere. Now, uh, I believe Tom Cassiello is his, his name. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Former WWE writer said, hey, that's just the way WWE is, and you know that's perfectly normal. And you know, I'm not saying Michael Cole is justified in doing that, but just that's the reality of WWE, which, I don't, I don't know, to me that kind of sounds like Stockholm Syndrome, like you know, guys that have been in WWE before or, you know, went through our WWE system. It's like, oh, that's normal. It's, it's not normal. That, that, that ain't normal. And, and to be fair to Tom, I believe you said that's not normal unless you were in WWE, and it's almost impossible to change that culture with Vince McMahon there. Then uh, Alex DeBarrios, who I believe was in NXT for a short time, talked about how Michael Cole could be a great mentor, but he was an a-hold him the whole time, and he got bullied. And Yeah. So for those that always ask me, why don't you work for WWE? There's your reason why. Um, never mind the fact that you know, I prefer to work with corporations, not necessarily for. Uh, on top of that, you know, in the past when I was younger and uh, I was broke as a joke and I, need, I needed some money, yeah. When I was an in, when I was trying to intern, I did apply for WWE and did almost end up in WWE back in the day when I was at Rutgers, but wasn't meant to be. I think they actually were going to hire me, but by that time I was like, you know what? It's really not financially feasible for me to go from Stanford, Connecticut to Central New Jersey, and you know, on top of already paying uh, tuition at Rutgers University, uh, and. The irony is, that was, what, eight, nine years ago? Maybe almost ten years ago. And none of those people I used to be in contact with in WWE, whether it be like sources or just friends I knew, longtime photographers, whatever, are there anymore. And, uh, yeah, usually people leave within ten years or so. But, I mean, there was a period, I think, it was ten years ago, and then after a couple of years, they all just started dropping like flies. Either they got fired, or they, for whatever reason, even though they were there for like ten years, uh, the company wouldn't match an offer that they received and decided to leave. So uh, I'm not saying that WWE is not a great company to work for. It depends on who you are, right? It's, it's, it's like uh, capitalism. You know, capitalism is great for a lot of people. It's not great for a lot of people either. You know, America is gr- a great country in theory and as a whole. It is, it, it is great and you have freedom and all this other stuff. But it's not always great for everybody depending on your socioeconomic situation and where you come from. And, you know, that, that's a whole nother can of worms. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there's always different experiences, is what, is what I'm trying to say. And in the case of corporate America, I mean, it's not for everybody. And when it comes to WWE, 
plus uh, the corporate America and politics and all that stuff and the craziness of the wrestling business, it's definitely not for everybody. So, hey, if you're somebody that's listening to this right now that worked for WWE or currently work for WWE and you enjoy or enjoyed your time there, hey, God bless you. That's great. But, uh, you know, it's not really normal for guys to get or girls to get a job and within 10 months they're gone. Maybe in like TV production, which is unfortunate, but that's kind of like the way it goes. You know, when I, I used to work in TV, I had a lot of freelance gigs. But when you're in, in WWE, I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's it's kind it's kind it's kind of messed up. If, if, if as far as I'm concerned, now one of my buddies who currently is doing really well for himself in Viacom, like he went to WWE. He went to WWE, uh, and I think he was only there for like ten months. Ten months, and he threw his ass out the door. Now, thank God, he's doing very well for himself now in TV, and I'm sure he's a better man for going through that experience. But, yeah, not normal. So if you're going to apply for WWE, God bless you. I hope it works out. But just uh, keep in mind, uh, you know, you may not be there for long, so you might as well soak in as much information and get as much out of it as you can and try to make your positive impact. But, yeah, that's not a good week for WWE in terms of public relations. And on top of that, there have been reports from the Wrestling Observer, from Pro Wrestling Sheet, among other sources, that Sasha Banks tried to quit after WrestleMania Sunday. Mainly because she lost the tag titles with Bailey to the Iconics. And I don't think she has anything personal against the Iconics. I think they're actually friends. Uh, I don't happen to think the Iconics are really that good outside of the mic. Like, mic work, character-wise, I, I like them in the ring. Frankly, they, they haven't, I don't think you got to be a wrestling expert to say you haven't been impressed by them over the last year since being called up to the main roster. Whether that changes or not, that remains to be seen. But uh, Bailey and Sasha, here they are, pushing for women's tag team titles for God knows how freaking long. They finally get them. They make stops at Raw, SmackDown, NXT, live events. They have an opportunity here to establish the tag team championships. Now, they're technically not the first WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, but in WWE revisionist history, and in the current history of WWE, they are the first. And it is special, okay? It is very special. So, what happens here? Within 49 days, they just randomly lose the titles to the Iconics, who have been booked like absolute freaking jokes. Ironically enough, their good friends, The Revival, also lost to a team that's been booked like an absolute joke until recently, which was Zack Ryder and... Kurt Hawkins, and nothing against them. I really like Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, and I've met Zack Ryder, who's a real nice guy. But, uh, you know, character-wise, look at where they were at before they won the tag titles. Makes no sense. So I can imagine Sasha Banks, between having, what, three or four women's title reigns that didn't mean Jack, losing them right away, hot potatoing, and then, and then this. I mean, yeah, I would want to quit too. On top of the fact that you're a woman of color, you're in WWE where people of color in general historically have not always gotten the same long-term opportunities as others. On top of that, they bring back Hulk Hogan, who never really sort of apologized for saying the N-word. He only apologized really for getting caught. Now, maybe he apologized privately to a few guys like Mark Henry and others who have, you know, it seems like have since forgiven him. I don't know. It, it, it just in general, I mean, you look around. I mean, if you're Sasha Banks, you're one of the best wrestlers on the roster. And some people may disagree with me on, the, on that count. And by all means, you could disagree with me. But she's definitely one of the best female wrestlers on the roster. And I think she's one of the best wrestlers on the roster. I don't, now, objectively speaking, I don't think her mic work has been as good as it was back in NXT. But I think that's more of a case of being miscast as a babyface 
and miscast as, you know, well, not really miscast, but overly scripted. Miscast as an overly scripted babyface So is what, is what I'm trying to say. You know, I, I think if you kind of allowed her to let loose like she did in NXT, you know, she'd be great. And you know what? If people cheer for her while having heelish tendencies, sure, why not? Let her be like a Stone Cold type or whatever. But I, I think when they overly script these people, even like Becky Lynch uh, this past Raw, you know, she's great, but she sounded way too much like Conor McGregor. I felt like, it, like some of these writers just watched Conor McGregor and said, oh, she's Irish, she could do that. And, and no, just, just let, her be, let her be more like she's on Twitter. You know, let her be herself. Let her be Rebecca Quinn. I don't need her to be overly scripted Conor McGregor ripoff, you know? But anyway, I think Sasha Banks is one of the best female wrestlers of all time already. And I, honestly, I would put Bailey up there too. And the impact that they, those two have had in the women's division from NXT uh, onward has, has been phenomenal. And for them to be disrespected like this, and you got you to think about it from their perspective, right? Bailey's Hispanic. Sasha Banks is black. Both really hardworking. They don't fit the mold. And you constantly see other people getting long-term opportunities. Alexa Bliss, great on the mic, not a great worker. Sells merchandise, does her thing, but just imagine, right, when Alexa Bliss originally beat Bailey for the women's title a couple years ago, and then she had that long reign of terror. Just imagine had WWE put the resources they put into Alexa Bliss into Bailey. They would have legitimately had the female John Cena. Legit. She had that kind of potential in NXT. That appeal to kids, the I'm a hugger stuff. I mean, it was it was great. Sasha Banks. How they put the kind of resources they put towards Charlotte, who Charlotte's one of the, a, a great worker now, and I'm I'm a really big fan of hers, and, and I think she's improved significantly. I'm not hating on her, but you know, first couple of years she got called up, Charlotte was a hit or miss sometimes in the ring. Her matches didn't always deliver. You know, she eventually got better, and it was a worthy investment. But imagine they took half of those resources and put them towards Sasha Banks and given her credibility. I don't know. Maybe they could have had their female Eddie Guerrero. You know. Who knows? Uh, but here we are, and you're looking around. Alexa Bliss just destroys Bailey for the most part on Raw in a nothing match. Lacey Evans, who fits the the the, the requirements like Charlotte, getting a title shot right after WrestleMania. Uh, you know, I'm sure Charlotte's still going to be in the mix. Like, yeah, I'd be pissed. I would be pissed if I was a woman of color in WWE. I would, and nothing against Lacey Evans, from what I understand too. Much like the Iconics, Sasha Banks happens to really respect her and like her a lot. It's the principle. It's not hating on these women that happen to be white and blonde and fit the mold of you know, Vince McMahon. I'm not hating on them. I'm hating on the company for not being open-minded enough. And I'm hating on the company for just not providing the right opportunities. And this isn't one of those things where it's like Jinder Mahal where, hey, he happens to be Indian. Let's give him the world title. Where Jinder Mahal, quite frankly, work-wise and Mike-wise, did nothing to really earn that spot. And I'm happy that he got that opportunity. I'm sad that he's no longer in that top mix because I think he improved. But, you know, this is one of those cases similar to Kofi Kingston where, hey, you happen to have somebody, okay, who's of a background that WWE doesn't normally push, okay, doesn't, I don't want to say normally cater to, but doesn't normally push and specifically cater to, who happens to be awesome, so let's put him in that position. You can't look at WWE the last four to five years and say, ah, they've had no women of color that, that can work. They've had no women of color that can sell merchandise. Ah, they've had no women of color that can draw. Like, that's, that's BS, right? Obviously. Obviously. So if you're Sasha Banks, I mean, that's just a, another added facet. You know, people say, well, why does it got to be about race? I mean, that's just the reality, folks. That really is. That's just the reality. 
And it's just it's just really unfortunate. It's certain women, certain people, with certain looks. More often than not, there are exceptions. Get the opportunities, or most of them, and then certain ones don't. And what can I say? You could say maybe Sasha Banks shouldn't, uh, you know, complain about it on Twitter. You could say Sasha Banks probably shouldn't be subtweeting and all this other stuff. But the reality is, you know what? I I, I think she she has a right to be passionate about her work. As somebody that's also very creative, not to compare myself to Sasha Banks, but I can fully relate. For people that aren't creative, and I'm not hating on y'all that aren't in, in the media industry or the art industry or even in like the sports industry or anything like that. But when you know that you're damn good at your craft, there's nothing worse or few things worse than seeing people that you know you're better than getting opportunities. There's nothing worse than not having control of your destiny to an extent. You can't fully control your destiny, especially if you believe in religion. Uh, but you can at least control like you know the creative direction or or the professional direction of your careers okay and at the end of the day i think a lot of us at one point in our lives probably weren't ha- weren't happy with our jobs and you know what if you're in a position like sasha banks where you're famous and you got some money and you have the opportunity to take your career and your life in the direction you want to take it in take advantage of that i don't blame her for that just like i don't blame a player for holding out for more money just like i don't blame an actor for turning down a huge role just like I don't blame Deontay Wilder for saying, nah, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to box for DAZN for three years, $100 million, when I could probably earn more and, and, and just be a pawn in their game. Like, no, like, I, you know, I want to do my own thing, do my own terms, box for Showtime, and then you know what? Once I kick this guy's ass, I'll renegotiate with y'all. You know, that's why I don't hand on the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes for saying, F it. Let's have an opportunity to create our own thing as opposed to just going to WWE, which would have been the easy choice and a logical choice, but they took the harder route. So I'm not hating it. It's like a SoundCloud artist or an artist on Spotify or Frank Ocean. Frank Ocean infamously or famously, I think, owed like one more album to his record label a few years ago. Did an album, put it out there, you know, finished up his contract, and then two days later put out his quote-unquote real new album. And now he's independent and he owns the majority of his music. Nipsey Hussle, God Rest His Soul, his official debut album, owned all the masters. Okay. We're in an era now where creators and people in sports and entertainment are trying to take more control of their careers, and rightfully so. And anybody in the quote-unquote real world, if they had an opportunity to do that, they would take it. I would take it. Y'all would take it. It just makes sense. So I'm wishing the very best to Sasha Banks, and we'll see what happens. It could be a revival situation where they try to quit and then they come back anyway, or she could be on ice. We'll see. But I wish her the very best, and if Bailey feels the same way, hey, I'm more than happy to support him. I also forgot to mention, can't believe this. So AEW, according to Front Row Brian at Fight Oracle on Twitter, say what you want about the guy, and I got a lot to say about him, but he did tweet out that the currently it is expected that AEW is going to be showcased at the upfronts for Turner Broadcasting. In other words, it's like upfronts are kind of like when they showcase their upcoming fall programming and program for next year, kind of like E3 for TV networks and such. So, that's the rumor. Dave Meltzer says that's not the case. And essentially, it's Turner and somebody else we don't know about, which I guess might be The Zone because The Zone could really use some weekly programming in addition to those huge boxing matchups and Bellator MMA. The other big news, Road Dog Jesse James, real name Brian Armstrong, Brian James. He is not leaving WWE, but stepping down or has already stepped down as SmackDown head writer. He had been head writer the last couple of years, really close to Triple H. And from based on reports from The Observer, it looks like he's quitting because 
damn, I just can't take these continuity issues. Now, say what you want about Road Dog. He certainly you know, is a company man, always tweets out the company line on Twitter. But the reality is he's an Armstrong. And if you don't know anything about the Armstrong family, they're a decorated group of good to great workers who sure as hell know professional wrestling. And whether you like Road Dog or not, I can guarantee you that Road Dog and Armstrong is going to be familiar with what makes for good continuity. And reportedly he quit because he's just tired of the lack of continuity and Vince McMahon constantly changing his mind. Like, for example, in the main event of SmackDown, they had Drew McIntyre team up with The Bar to take on The New Day. And because WWE didn't want Drew McIntyre to look bad, he not only was kept out of the ring, but he was out of sight, out of mind afterwards. What? So why not just not book him in the match? Crazy. So yeah, I knew I'd forgotten something before I recorded this podcast. So my apologies for popping this update real quick, but Jesus Christmas. Yeah. Vince McMahon, you got to get your ish together. AEW, of course, has their first pay-per-view, Double or Nothing, May 25th, 2019, at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas. Beautiful arena, by the way. Current card, Hangman Adam Page versus Pac, a.k.a. Neville. SoCal Uncensored is Shima uh, with two part mystery partners versus Chris Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, Kenny Omega against Chris Jericho, Britt Baker versus Nala Rose versus Kylie Ray, Cody Rhodes versus somebody to be determined. Uh, Sonny Kiss versus Kip Sabian versus Brandon Cutler versus Glacier. Yeah, Glacier versus Ace Romero versus Brian Pillman versus Moore in the over the budget battle royal. And the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros, Pentagon and Phoenix for the AAA World Tag Team titles. And they also have a joint show at Fighter Fest, which is uh, AEW and CEO Gaming, for those that love esports. It's Jibaley versus Michael Nakazawa, Cody Rhodes versus Darby Allen, who's a stud, and the elite Kenny Omega, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, a.k.a. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, versus Pac and the Lucha Bros in a six-man tag. And then finally... On oh, so I should mention, Fighter Fest is on June 29th. Fight for the Fallen is on July 13th. It's at Jacksonville. I don't think they have a full card for that. No, they don't have a full card for that yet. But that's gonna be the show where they raise the money for gun violence victims. So that's that's a great cause there. And before I get on out of here, just want to go over real quick my experience at the ROH G1 Supercard. Hell of a show. Hell of a freaking show. Although I got to say. Man, the ROH side kind of sort of underwhelmed, in my humble opinion. The New Japan side excelled. And uh, I think long-term, ROH really needs to get behind Jeff Cobb, who's not really a homegrown talent, but somebody that is a stud. Former Olympian, insane strength. He captured the never-open-weight title from Will Ospreay in a title-versus-title match. So now he's the TV champion and the uh, never-open-weight champion. And I expect big things from him. I think Roosh, who squashed Dalton Castle before Dalton Castle turned heel on the boys, is a, a great star as well. And if they can cater to him like MLW did with you know the subtitles and allowing him to just be himself, one of the original Engobernables, uh, I think he could he could do well. But for those that don't know, Matt Taven captured the ROH World Title, <laughs> and uh, nothing against Matt Taven, but I mean I mean honestly, I, I feel like that's. Okay, he's been pushed better than Jinder Mahal was at the time Jinder Mahal won the WWE title. But it's essentially like, like ROH giving Jinder Mahal the world title. I, I think Matt Taven's a perfectly good worker. Uh, you know, he, I'm sure he works really hard. Homegrown talent. But 
I'm I'm just not seeing it right now. Uh, you know, he he worked really hard in the latter match with uh, Marty Skrull and with Jay Lethal, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I I don't know about that one. But overall, I thought top to bottom was a great show. I think the main thing was just ROH. What are you doing? You know, the beautiful people debuted Angelina Love and Velvet Sky. They joined uh, Mandy Leone to attack the new women's champion, Kelly Klein. Uh, we had a lot of title changes. Kazushko Okada in the main event defeated Jay White for the IWGP heavyweight title. First IWGP title change in American sto- soil. Excuse me. That was fantastic. Tetsuya Naito taking on uh, Kota Ibushi for the Intercontinental title. Kota Ibushi won the IC title there. That was a freaking great match. By the way, you can watch all that on the Fight TV app the ROH Honor Club app and on New Japan World. So if you haven't seen it already, I would recommend watching it. And I think they're actually airing the the next few matches on Access TV over the course of the next few weeks. So check them out there. But that was a great match. Zack Sabre Jr. beating Tanahashi, submitting him to retain the Rev Pro British Heavyweight title. That was a damn good match too. Very technical. Poor Tanahashi reportedly got injured in that match though, which sucks. And on top of that, before that, we had Enzo Amore and Big Cass do an angle, which wasn't shown on TV, made to look like a, a shoot, but it really w- was a work, of them trying to jump the rail and brawl with Bully Ray and brawl with these other guys. It was, just, it was just a mess. So this is what ROH does. They give us Matt Taven, Kelly Klein, Enzo and Cass, and the beautiful people. That's something to look forward to on their biggest show ever. They obviously have the New Japan relationship. They obviously have, I think, exclusive rights to Jeff Cobb, which is great, but... They're going to need to do a little more than that. So hopefully, hopefully they'll step it up. I'll tell you this right now. I think this next year is a make-or-break year for Ring of Honor. It's either going to be the year that they rebuild and remake and get some new stars, much like they did in the past when they lost CM Punk and the Samoa Joe many years ago and Brian Danielson all these guys. I mean, over the years, they've always lost guys to WWE, TNA, uh, New Japan, and they've continued to make stars. But right now, I really feel like they're at a point where I'm not saying they've run out of ideas, but geez, I do think they really need to kind of step it up, find those hidden gems, find those diamonds on the undercard like LSG, like Shaheem Ali, like Will Ferrara, other dudes, and just, you know, just just polish those diamonds. If they are diamonds, I mean, try your best, but you need some new blood there. And you need some new blood that connects with the crowd quick because there's no guarantees New Japan's going to stick with ROH. I think I think for the most part, the relationship works. ROH takes care of all the headache in the U.S., New Japan could just bring their talent over. And you know, also both, uh, both companies have a relationship with CMLL, which is one of the top lucha promotions in Mexico. So it, it does work out. But you're, I do wonder at some point if, if New Japan says, you know what, we could link up with AEW or somebody else. You know, Hope for, for ROH's sake they step it up, and that doesn't happen. As far as other highlights, just being in Madison Square Garden, my favorite arena, uh, be, seeing 20,000 people or nearly 20,000 people chant for these New Japan guys. Just very a very surreal and incredible experience, and I'll never forget it. Uh, so if you haven't been to a New Japan ROH joint show, I, I think they're going to be doing some World of World stuff, too. I don't know if they're doing it in New York. They're definitely doing it you know, around the country. Uh, go to it. It's a lot of fun. It's nothing like it, seriously, especially if you get one of those top Japan guys like, uh, like a Naito, an Okada, a Tanahashi, Minoru Suzuki in the Battle Royal. Also, that battle ro- the pre-show Battle Royal, which Kenny King won. Uh, we had... The Great Muda and Jushin Thunder Liger. Jeez, that, that was just an incredible experience. But anyway, folks, I'm out of time. I actually got to head out now. But I thank you so much for listening. By the time you listen to this, our UC 236 recap is probably going to be up. Holloway versus Poye, Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum, 
interim titles on the line because we need more interim titles. Until then, please feel free to like, share, subscribe on all major podcast platforms, YouTube and Facebook. And until next time, everybody, as always, enjoy the matches and the games. I'll talk to you guys again very soon.